Well, this has been a week in which there are members of our body who have experienced loss. We mentioned uh, Francis's brother having passed away. We know that, uh, of course, that Owen Hull passed away uh, last week, and we want to pray, continue to pray for the Weeb family, for the Coglins. I ask God's blessings on them for sure. Um, Robin and I experienced some loss this week as well. And I want to uh, talk this morning about some things specifically having to do with, uh, with the loss that we experienced. For most of us, the uh, struggles that we experience in life pale in comparison to those of my friend Mark Witte. Mark was 26 years old in 1992, had his whole life ahead of him when he moved to Victoria. Had a degree in computer science, was working for the Ministry of Forests. Things looked pretty good for him. He didn't know anybody when he moved to Victoria. And so uh, you will know the Hodgkisses, Dean and Kay, and their daughter, Bev, who is married to Rob Davies, who lives in Victoria. And Dean and Kay were working on Manitoulin Island in Ontario and knew Mark Witte's parents, Charlie and Marjorie, who had become Christians. And so when Mark got ready to move out to Victoria, he was not a Christian himself. Charlie and Marjorie had come to the Lord late in life, and uh, Mark was already in his mid-20s by the time that Charlie and Marjorie came to the Lord. But they uh, got a hold of Dean. Uh, he knew that, they, that their son was moving out. So Dean called Bev and said, you and Rob need to make friends with Mark Witte when he moves to Victoria. And if you know Rob Davies, Rob's not the kind of person who will pass up an opportunity to kind of get to know people. And so Rob made uh, a real effort to contact Mark. Uh, their relationship flowered, and, uh, and Mark started to build a relationship not just with Rob, but with our church family as well. With time, Mark's girlfriend, Cindy, moved out to, to Victoria as well from Ontario. And uh, by this time, Mark was going to church, and so Cindy started going to church uh, as well. She started developing relationships too. It wasn't long before Mark was baptized, Cindy was baptized, and uh, in very close proximity to all of that, I performed their wedding. In fact, it was a beautiful uh, kind of situation. Everybody got together on a uh, Friday night for dinner, and there was dinner. And then at the end of dinner, we all went into the living room, and the people who were there for dinner had no idea what was happening. And uh, Mark just stood up and said, well, since we've got everybody here, let's have a wedding. And so, uh, so I, everybody was so shocked, and uh, he, he just grabbed somebody and said, here, you be my best man, and... You know, it was kind of like that. It was absolutely wonderful. And so I did their wedding in the middle of their living room on a Friday night with no one having anticipated that at all. And in fact, as it turned out, his parents had come to town uh, the weekend before that without Mark even knowing that they were coming. And they happened to be there present that night for the wedding. I mean, it just worked out perfectly. And so there we were doing a wedding with Mark's parents there, and, and he didn't even know they were going to be there. Well, unfortunately, two weeks after Mark and Sin were married, Mark was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And also, uh, unfortunately, his version of the disease was very aggressive, and uh, within just a, f- a few short years, Mark was in a wheelchair. In the meantime, Mark and Cindy uh, had a couple of daughters, Andrea and Catherine, whom I got to see this weekend. I hadn't seen them since they were just toddlers, and they're now teenagers, and it was wonderful to see them growing into young ladies. Cindy was a nurse. 
uh, worked at one of the Victoria hospitals, and she was able to do that until Mark got to the position where he was no longer able to, to really care for himself at all. And so Cindy stopped working and just started caring for her husband. Also, in the meantime, before Mark became incapacitated, and as his disease, his disease was progressing, he was also uh, progressing in his faith. And uh, he took on the role of the assembly planning. Andrew, he did exactly what you do. And so for several years, Mark was planning our assemblies and making sure that everything was orchestrated. Uh, one of the things that I remember so clearly about him uh, in the midst of all of that was how if something happened that wasn't quite right on a Sunday morning, if things didn't quite go the way that they should, Mark was just aghast. I mean, he really took it seriously. He, he grieved about it. He would be so sorrowful. And he, like I can remember him coming to me on a Monday morning and saying, I am so sorry that that happened during the assembly yesterday. He took it so seriously. And the reason why is because Mark, from the very beginning, took his faith so seriously, took his relationship with God so seriously. And it's not hard to understand why when you find yourself faced with the kind of circumstances with which he was faced. He and I would study together. We'd meet for prayer together. It was amazing to me how sincere he was when he prayed. We could be talking and laughing, and then it would be time for prayer, and instantly Mark was in this mode of prayerfulness that was uh, profound and deep. Uh, He never blamed God. He never blamed anyone else. Mark, Mark never got angry. Never complained about his circumstances, never used his condition as an excuse, never craved pity. Instead, he just continued to be the best father to his girls as he could be, was the best husband to Cindy he could be, and continued to serve the Lord. Typically, Mark continued to be joy-filled, even when faced with his circumstances. In fact, um, I remember how, how Mark would talk about different experiences that he would have because of his MS and how, how funny he would find these. For example, he had a, a you know, scooter and a movable wheelchair after a while, and he would occasionally uh, kind of uh, fool the nurses or whomever who didn't want him to leave, and he would just take off, not telling anybody. And so he would take off down the sidewalk in the middle of the day or whatever and start going off through town, not having anybody know where he was. And, of course, everybody would start to worry. Well, there was one day when he was out doing that, and somehow he managed to tip his scooter over on its side. And so he's there on the sidewalk by himself, and he, of course, can't begin to get that scooter up by itself. And so people started passing by and saying, well, we need to help this guy. And they, it was too heavy. They couldn't help. And so Mark suggested to them that they call 911. So they did. And pretty soon a fire truck came, and these firemen helped him up on his side, or, or up right again, and put him back on his scooter, and he took off again. And he loved to tell the story about how the fire truck had come and rescued him from when he was laying on the, the, uh, on the sidewalk. He, he would tell these stories, and it was funny because he would get to laughing in the middle of telling a story, and he couldn't finish. And you couldn't always hear the punchline to Mark's stories because he was always laughing so hard at, at his own punchline at the end, which he was anticipating. You never heard the punchline. You just enjoyed the laughter and got to see the joy that was in Mark as he would tell a story. Um, he loved the story of at Christmas time one year, when an, there was one attendant in the hospital where Mark finally ended up named Dave who took special care of, of Mark. And he was, in a, he was in a senior's complex, and he was the only young 
person in there. And so uh, this Dave, who was an attendant, would take special care of Mark, and, and he would kind of have times with Mark, and it would be the time for the guys to be together because Mark was the only guy there, a young guy anyway. And so they would have the guys' times, and he would do various things to really help Mark feel like a young man. And um, But one of the things that Dave had to do was because Mark was incapable of going to the washroom by himself, Dave would take him in, uh, you know, help him in, and put him on the commode. And, and Dave always had to leave the door open uh, in case Mark fell off or something so that somebody would know that, and he wasn't locked in there or anything like that by himself. And so he would always take a blanket and wrap it around Mark to, uh, you know, just for the sake of privacy. So he'd be in there with the door open, but the blanket wrapped around him. So one day, around Christmas time, Dave goes in and helps Mark to the washroom and puts the blanket around him and goes off down the hall to do something else. And while he's down the hall, he suddenly hears carolers going through the hospital. And immediately panics because he knows that they are headed for Mark's room and he knows where Mark is. And so Dave and another attendant go running down the hallway and run into the the room and they find when they get there 10 or 12 carolers in a semicircle around the door to the washroom singing, Oh, come all ye faithful to Mark as, as, as he's sitting there. Mark loved to tell that story, but the best part was that Dave and the attendant didn't know what to do, so they just joined the carolers and started singing. <laughs> I enjoyed the fact that Mark could see humor in those kinds of things, and I could just see him sitting there with this big smile on his face as these people are singing to him. Well, I returned last night from his memorial. Robin and I had seen him two weeks ago uh, in worship at Shelburne Street when we were on holidays. Uh, we didn't know it at the time. We left on Saturday to drive back here for, uh, and got here late Saturday night. And Mark had, during the week while we were there, taken a turn for the worse. And he actually passed away last Sunday morning uh, while we were in services. So just about the time that we were here worshiping, Mark died. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit this morning about some things that I think I learned from my brother and my friend. And... This is one of them. Successful living, happiness, and peace are so easily separated from health, worldly accomplishment, physical abilities, possessions, or pleasures. Don't get me wrong here. I know that those things are important for all of us. There's a sense in which we want to have those things. But there's also a sense in Mark's life in which he had none of them. You go through the list and you look at the things that he had at the end and happiness, peace, those were his. But health, worldly accomplishment, physical abilities, possessions and pleasures, they weren't. I can tell you that after sin quit working and Mark by this time of course had quit working too that they were pretty much dependent upon either the church or social assistance. What else could they do? And yet, happiness and peace, and indeed, successful living were theirs despite this. During the last 15 years of his life, Mark was horribly unhealthy. He accomplished almost nothing, at least in the way that we would think of it. For the last several years, he'd had almost no physical abilities. The limited income he and Cindy received was so minimal. They had two little girls. Their worldly pleasures were greatly negated and outweighed by his circumstances. 
But no one could accuse Mark of living unsuccessfully. And that's because of something else which I think is true. That which is most meaningful is what happens on the inside. In fact, I'll take that a step further this morning. That which is most meaningful is what happens on the inside because it's on the inside that we experience the deep things, the spiritual things. It's on the inside that we experience authentic relationship and love and especially relationship with God. If life lived in relationship with God is God's highest priority, then physical abilities begin to wane in importance. In fact, it made me think as I was thinking about Mark that it's kind of no wonder that God doesn't always give physical healing. You know, we always ask that question about why. Why is it that we pray and physical healing doesn't come? Doesn't God promise that if we pray and we ask Him with faith that He'll do what we ask? Doesn't Scripture say that? And yet I'm convinced that when we pray that way that God blesses us with the answers that He wants to give and that we need to pray certainly that His will will be done. And when I think about Mark, it's not surprising to me that there are times when physical healing simply doesn't come. And that's because what we share with God, the physical relationship is just not as important as that inner spiritual sanctum between ourselves and the Lord where we're allowed to relate to God and He with us. And there's a oneness that takes place between our hearts and His heart. And it transcends. It goes beyond physicality. It goes beyond what we experience on the outside. And it's true and it's deep. The fact is, is that knowing God, knowing God is where it's at. The inner spiritual life is in fact the higher life. And that's what we need to seek. That's why Jesus says things like, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. It's not just because you have eternal life at the end and we know that this life only lasts a while and so we want to focus on the life that is going to come in the future because it's going to last a long time. That's certainly true, but that's not all there is. You can kill the body, but what you can't kill is the self that is related to God. And what you can't kill is the blessing of being related to God. And so when you know God, when your relationship with God is true and deep and real and meaningful, it transcends our physicality, it transcends even our lives. And so when we talk about our soul and what we're going to experience, it's wonderful that we have longevity in heaven. But that's not the essence. In fact, there is no time, right? The essence of eternal life is not the longevity of it, the essence of eternal life is the depth of the relationship. The opportunity that we have to be one with God and before Him in a closeness that we can't at this point even imagine. Jesus says other things like, I came so that they can have real life and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And I don't think that when he said that, that he was thinking, I'm going to just give them good things here on the earth. 
It's good if we have good things here on the earth. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said, I want to give them abundant life. He said, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's what life is all about. Now I want you to notice something here in these two passages. Look at this one first. I came so they can have real life, eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Notice I've underlined the word life there. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. This is interesting that Greg did the thing with laminin this morning. Laminin is part of life in a very biological kind of way. But there are two Greek words for life. One is the word bios, from which we get biology, and it has to do with cells. It has to do with being alive. It has to do with breathing and blood in our veins and oxygen and all those kinds of things. There's another kind of life in the Bible. And it's in these two passages, John 10.10 and John 17.3, that Jesus talks about a different kind of life. There are other places. In fact, the Gospel of John is filled with this kind of life. But the word here for life is not bios. The word here for life is zoe. It's from the, the word that we get the, the name zoe. And it doesn't just mean to be alive. It means to be alive. It means to have abundant life. It means to seize something that goes way beyond just existence. And so when Jesus says, I came to give you real life, or as other translations say, I came to give you abundant life, that's the kind of life that my friend Mark had a chance and has a chance right now to experience. It wasn't just biological life. His biological life wasn't so good. But on the inside where it counted, where it was deep, and where it was real, and where it is eternal. My friend Mark has a chance for real life, abundant life. And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, that's what we all need We need the real life, the abundant life. Life here is wonderful. God is good. He blesses us in ways that we can't fathom. But it's abundant life and real life that we need to seek. And real life is found in Jesus Christ. I want you to read these words with me from Paul. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden that God is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. In this age, I don't know about crucifying the Lord of glory. Jesus isn't here to crucify, but the world still doesn't understand it. In our age, they don't get this. They think that life is found in possessions. They think that life is found in good looks. They think that life is found in successfulness here. And Jesus would say, it's not found there. However, it's written, Paul says, no eye has seen, nor no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And it's different than what we know here. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God 
that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. At the end of Mark's life, he couldn't speak. You couldn't talk to him. But his eyes and the movements, they told you that something profound was going on in Mark's life. Something real and deep was present within him. And I have no doubt but that it was the same God in him then and is in him now that was in him when he could talk and when we could relate. When I was with the family on Friday night, preparing for the memorial on Saturday, and I hadn't seen them all in eight years, Cindy told me the story about how she and Mark used to get together every night and would kneel down next to their bed and pray before they went to bed. And I asked Cindy, I said, when did you start that and how long did it last? And she said, well, Kelly, we started it from the very beginning. And we did it until he couldn't do it any longer. And it got to the point where after a while, Mark's legs wouldn't work very well and he'd get down in the kneeling position and he couldn't get back up. And so she would spend, she said it would take me sometimes 30 minutes to get him back in bed after our time of prayer together. And they kept praying. In fact, they bought a new bed, one lower to the ground, with the specific purpose of being able to get him back in bed more easily after they prayed together at night. Thank you, Jesus. Mark's brother Mike at the funeral um, told, the, uh, gave the eulogy. And he was talking about how there was a point at which Mark seemed to have only a few moments left. Mike was there. His sister Donna was there. Charlie and Marjorie, Mark's parents, were there. They were all around him, and it seemed uh, like it wasn't going to be long. And Mike said that all of a sudden they noticed that on Mark's lips there was a smile. And Mike, sensing that something otherworldly was taking place with his brother, in a moment of illumination, said to Mark, Is it beautiful? And Mark suddenly moved as if to sit up, which he couldn't do. And he looked at his brother, and then he laid back down with a smile on his face, and five seconds later, he died. Wow. Mike saw his brother go be with Jesus. No wonder at the end he smiled. What does this mean for you and me? 
It means this morning that we have to take seriously the side of life that has nothing to do with health, that has nothing to do with worldly accomplishment, that has nothing to do with physical abilities and possessions and pleasure. God wants us to know him. He wants to know if you know him. So many of the pursuits that we count as such great priorities in our lives, the things that we strive after simply don't amount to much at the end. They're just not that important. We fret and we struggle and we worry and we work and we get depressed. We treat others unkindly. We step on people. We use people. We focus on ourselves. We're enraptured with the things of the world. But this is not where the deep life is at. All the while, God is saying, Know me. Focus on me. Come learn of me. And I will give you eternal life. You know, that's why we say to each other, study scripture. That's why we say to each other, pray. That's why we say to each other, cultivate some kind of spiritual mindset. Seize opportunities for growth. We need to open our eyes to the things that are important, the deep things, the things that that sustain us when nothing else will. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But we have a hope that will take us into a new life and a new relationship with God. Our lives in Jesus are not just for this life. They're not just for the physical life. They're for real life. Abundant life. And God wants us to have that. It's not in the worldly life that we put our hopes. It's in him. It's for the sake of this that we know Christ. It's for the sake of this that Jesus died. It's for the sake of these things that are unseen that we have relationship with God. And I just pray for all of you today that God gives you eyes to see. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the witness of my brother Mark. Thank you for the way in which you worked in his life. Thank you, Father, for the way that you transcended his physical state and planted your spirit within him and gave him abundant, real life. Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that that's where it's at and help us, Father, to focus It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.